The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory Glory to you, Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let her give a, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. If you are in the restaurant business then you had better love hospitality. The grind of cooking the same meal over and over will soon wear on you. So you you need to be all in on the hospitality business at large, right? You, You need to find joy in watching others enjoy food or celebrate an occasion or uh, have a good time together. It's all the little things of hospitality that might go into it. Setting the tables, choosing the right glassware, training people how to welcome guests properly. You've probably been to a restaurant where they acted like they didn't want you there. And then other restaurants where they were so happy to see you. That's the difference between a restaurant that understands and loves hospitality and one that just wants to serve you some food. The mere act of cooking the meal, then, is just the beginning of the restaurant business. It's a love of hospitality that motivates a true restaurateur. If you are an engineer, I suppose that you need and have a real love of solving problems. 
many disciplines are needed. You might enjoy the science or math, for example. I don't know how that's possible, but some people enjoy those disciplines. But what makes that vocation enjoyable is the constant challenge to solve problems and to help your client uh, have something bigger or better. If you're a parent, your goal should not merely be to keep your children alive, though there are some days where that's all I'm capable of. No, we don't just want our children to survive, but to thrive, to experience joy, to learn how to maturely deal with failure, to be safe, to be challenged. Now, I could go on with example after example. The point is that there is a difference between doing the minimum of something and doing something because you understand all that it is, all that is behind it. In our gospel lesson this morning, we hear some of Jesus' most famous teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. And this is exactly the kind of mentality that he is challenging. It is not enough to have not broken the law. It should be the case that we actively desire to be obedient to the law. There's a big difference between the two. And while what Jesus is describing may sound harsh or mean, I mean, here he is coming in and saying, well, you've heard it said, but I'm going to expand the law and I'm going to make it that much more difficult. He's actually speaking to a way that brings about the fruits of this faith that we so often speak about, joy and peace and hope. In the psalm, the very first verse of our psalm was, happy are those who seek to do the law of God. That's the very first sentence in the entire Psalter, Psalm 1. Actually, this is the happy life, is those who seek to be obedient to God. For what Jesus desires for us is to leave a life in the shadows, a life of self-justification, of wondering if we are good enough before God, and instead to fully embrace a relationship with God. What Jesus desires for us is for us to find freedom in our love for God and his love for us, rather than spending our life trying to just have a good enough life. Let's try to get into the the mindset that Jesus is criticizing. Jesus, Jesus is describing a way of life or a way of thinking that is completely legalistic. Okay, If you've ever heard the word legalistic, it means judging yourself according to the law. And so that is those in Jesus' audience, they know what is required. They know what the law says. They know what is commanded. They know what the limits are, right? Do not steal. Got it. Haven't stolen anything in a really long time. Do not kill. Got it. Never killed anyone before. Do not commit adultery. Got it. So long as I stay within those parameters, says the legalist, I'm fine. That's what legalism is. It's also interpreting the law in the most basic or literal 
or simple reading as well. Stealing, uh, that just refers to taking things from someone else, though in the age of digital intellectual property, it gets a lot more complicated, I would say. A killing, that only refers to taking someone's life, right? Um, So as long as I don't go that far, I'm fine. That's what the legalist says. And then I even have leeway and flexibility in all of those lower matters that never reach that threshold. So I can be a rude, cheap, joyless, selfish curmudgeon or hag or nag or whatever word you want to use to describe someone we think of as consumed with the law, right? But so long as I don't kill anyone, God is obligated to be satisfied with my obedience. That is the definition of legalistic thinking. It's knowing exactly where the boundary is and not crossing it, but not considering all of the other ways that the law applies. We tend to think of legalists then, if we hear or are familiar with that word, we tend to think of them as, you know, sort of selfish, mean people shrews, unhappy people, people who have scowled so much, you know, by the time they're 60, their whole face is one permanent frown, you know. Um, they, they, they live, they don't live generously, they don't live joyfully, right? But they're always thinking about these boundaries. They live by the book. And that can suck the life right out of somebody, and we tend to imagine them as a kind of generic Pharisee. These are the people that Jesus is dealing with, and that's who he's preaching to here, people who are always concerned about the law and being in right standing with the law. But I would argue that the danger of legalism is much less in strict curmudgeons and more in the casual way that most of us live. In fact, I would argue that we are surrounded by far more legalists than we could have ever imagined. The pharisaical type, that kind of person is is all throughout the New Testament because they were an important group of people in the New Testament. Jesus is dealing with them all the time. I'm not certain how prevalent that kind of personality is anymore, but we're still surrounded by legalists. How? Well, I think the true legalist ends up being too casual about the law because they know that since they haven't transgressed its worst boundaries, then they're fine. I'd estimate, for example, let's just say we could go door to door of every household in America. I would be willing to bet that with properly phrased questions, well over half of all Americans and probably well over half of all Christians would not be terribly concerned about their obedience or standing before God because they would say things like, well, I've never killed anyone. I'm not as bad as the people in that prison down the street. I'm fine. That's definitional legalism. There's no drive for many Americans to, say, attend church because they don't really believe that they've transgressed the laws of God because they never killed anyone. Well, I never stole from anybody right? That is the definition of legalism, of self-righteousness. Judging yourself against the law and only the law, the law that you interpret, and wouldn't you know you always come out of it on the right side? 
I talk to a lot of college students, and this is what comes up over and over. They come to me, they tell me what the law is, they've decided it for themselves, and wouldn't you know, they're always on the right side of it. Amazing how that works, isn't it? Do we do the same thing? I mean, let's be honest, we, we kind of all do that too, right? Which one of these legalists are you? Are we the strict adherent that believes we're in good standing with the law of God, the classic Pharisee of the New Testament? Or do we not really worry about the law at all because I never killed anyone? Jesus takes legalism of both kinds, and he stands it on its head. He brings down, he constricts that outer boundary that people are so uh, content to live under And he refuses to just deal with outside observation. And he looks more at the heart. It isn't about murder. It's about anger. It isn't about adultery. It's about lust. It isn't about stealing. It's about coveting. No one, not you, not me, not anyone, passes that test of obedience. And yet that is our goal. Jesus changes the boundaries precisely so that we will not be content with a life in the shadows, a life of wondering whether we might have crossed a line somewhere. Rather, we are to pursue a life that forgets about the boundaries and simply seeks to love our neighbors the way that we love ourselves, with our thoughts and our words and our deeds. If that sounds familiar, it's because we confess every week we have not loved our neighbor in thought, word, and deed. And it's a nice pattern, isn't it? From our thoughts come our words. From our words come our deeds. If we can discipline the heart first, then, and our mind, then our words and our deeds will follow. So, let me be blunt. Don't be a legalist. Easier said than done. Don't compare yourself to the law. For if you do, you will realize that Jesus is exactly right. The real test of the law is one we cannot pass. So rather... We trust that the perfect life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is more than enough for those who believe. And then we love our neighbor as ourselves. Not with limits, not seeking to do the bare minimum, but to the fullness of what is possible. In thought first, then with our words, and then finally, with our deeds. Amen.